The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word, for your promise, for your grace, for your coming, for your presence with us now. And God, we just uh, we look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith, and we ask God that you would fill us with all wisdom. And with wisdom, all will uh, to do the things that you have called us to do. God, speak to us. And let us hear rightly according to your mercy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alright, so this is week 9 of 9 uh, as we look at part 10 of our uh, study of Matthew, Jesus' last week. I want to offer just a, um, a praise report. It could, be, could even be perceived perhaps as a miracle, and that is that I turned into Elaine the schedule for finishing Matthew. Uh, yes, we've been in it for a year and a half. Uh, we are going to uh, go through, this is going to be the last week of Jesus, as we look at Jesus last week. Next week we'll start the Passion, we'll, Passion will take us through Lent. On Palm Sunday we'll look, at, which is I know a week ahead, but we'll look at the Resurrection and then the week after Easter, we'll look at the Great Commission, and we will be done with Lent. I mean, we'll, well, Lent, and we'll be done with Matthew. So you guys, stalwarts, you've been uh, sticking through it, and so grateful for that. Uh, just so we remember where we are, because we've been gone a couple of weeks, we are, we are in the, um, the end of Jesus' last week. It's probably late on Wednesday afternoon or so in Jesus' last week. And you remember that Jesus has condemned the Pharisaic system and predicted the destruction of the Jerusalem temple. And the disciples were sitting with Jesus now late in the afternoon. The sun is setting over Jerusalem. And they're looking across the Kidron Valley at Jerusalem. And they ask Him, when are these things going to be? Uh, what will be the sign of your coming? So these things, when will these things be, is the destruction of the temple, which Jesus predicted. And that, of course, was, um, the answer is very apocalyptic, and the, uh, it was fulfilled in 70 A.D. And the sign of your coming, they wanted to know, I mean, they, they probably assumed that they were, those are the same, uh, would be close to the same, but Jesus said, actually, no one knows the day or the hour of uh, the coming. And so, um, so, Jesus gives us four parables. Uh, the thief breaking in. Remember, he said no one knows it, but if anybody knew what time the thief was coming in, they'd be ready. Um, then we've got the bridegroom returns at midnight, and we've got the parable of the ten virgins. The master returns to his trusted servants, the parable of the talents. And then the fourth parable is really, it's often called a parable, but it's not exactly a parable, really. It's, it's, a, um, it's more of a simile. You know, I remember in, in uh, elementary school grammar, a simile is uh, something, not a metaphor, but it's, it's uh, like or as, right? Like, like or as. And so he says that it'll be like when a shepherd comes and divides the sheep from the goats. So it's really, it's, it's called a parable, a lot of the parable of the final judgment, the parable of the sheep and the goats. But it's really, um, it doesn't work like a normal parable. Um, the one, the one returning is clearly stated as the Son of Man. So we don't have a metaphor like the, 
the master of the, the servants or the, um, the bridegroom. It's, uh, it's clearly Jesus, the Son of Man, is returning, and he will separate people as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. And so the Son of Man comes and separates the people. Um, the three previous parables all had similar themes. All had similar themes. Uh, someone shows up unexpectedly. It's, it's, I mean, we, they might have thought they were coming, but we didn't know they were coming. They might have gotten lazy about their coming. It was the, uh, the thief, or it was, it was the bridegroom, it was the master. People, uh, they found they either were ready or they weren't. They were either ready or they weren't. Some, some were ready, some weren't. And there was a reward for those who were ready. And there was some sort of judgment or loss or punishment for those who were not ready. And that's kind of a, a running theme up to this parable of the sheep and the goats or the statement of the final judgment. So you had five virgins who had oil in their lamps. They got in the party. The five virgins who had no oil for the lamps, they were left out. The two servants who worked with what the master had given them and produced more, they were in, uh, well, they got the well done. And then the one servant who buried what the master had given him got weeping and gnashing of teeth. This morning, we're finishing up Jesus' teaching, and next week, of course, like I said, we're going to begin the Passion. But what we have now is really a famous passage. In the end of Matthew chapter 25, whatever you've done to the least of these, my brothers, you've done unto me. It's a, it is really a hallmark passage um, for those Christians who hold social justice uh, issues to be a primary um, and principle to their own piety. Um, and, and let me just be clear, we should all be concerned as Christians about justice issues. Some hold that as primary, others um, make maybe their own discipleship primary. Um, and I sort of fall in that latter category, discipleship is primary, but, but my hope and actually, I think we see that happening here at the church. The discipleship comes, and then the uh, ministries of justice go forward from that. But it's a passage. This, this I think, is a passage we can misuse, um, and it's been a passage that's been used to push back uh, against those who would hold up, for instance, St. Paul's words that we are saved by grace and not by works. And so we're going to have to figure out how to reconcile, because we don't interpret biblical passages as. Uh, contradictory one to another. So we're going to have to figure out, are we saved by grace and not by works? Or are the works really important? Because the works look like what, that's the sort of the dividing line uh, about the final judgment. So um, the truth is, yes, we are saved by grace and not by works. And the truth also is that we are here and in many other places called to good works. So uh, this passage, and I think this is in some time, it's actually been seen as an embarrassment, this passage. Just like we might say, committed Protestants or um, Lutherans that, that hold on to that saving faith. You know, uh, the, the judgment of the Son of Man is dependent not on saving faith, but on just action. Have you, how would you care for the least of these? So, let's work, as we work through the passage, let's work on reconciling, uh, reconciling that thing. Saved by grace, just action. Um, it's all right with you. I'm just going to read it uh, myself. Uh, 
When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a sheep separates Sorry, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty, and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger, and welcome you, or naked, and clothe you? When did we see you sick, or in prison, and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Which is real good news if we're righteous. So what do you make of it? Just reading this passage on its own, what jumps out at you as exciting or or hard or what? Yeah, Paul. Yes, Paul, Paul says it's the uh, mission work of the church. What it states right here is what we ought to be doing. No question about that. Yep. What else? Yes, Josh. I struggle a little bit with, um, <clears throat> you know, in, in modern society, you know, you can give to things like Trinity Rescue Mission, I give to Lutheran World Relief, you know, things like that. And you have two parts here. You can give money to that, but then are you really doing the things? Or are you just you know, I throw some money at it? But then also, even if you are going and doing those things, the bit I struggle with is, you know, we're confronted with it. You know, every day you drive around town, there's somebody on a corner with a sign and a cup. You know, when, what's that? You know, I'm not doing the things where I know it's going, but I, I feel like if I just give this person money, am I really helping them? And, you know, if I pull out a couple bucks every time I see somebody like that, you know. You helping the problem or are you perpetuating the problem? Yeah. Where, right? where is that line? You know, am I 
there's no sometimes in here. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Give it, give that person a good look up and down, and if they if you think they really need it, yeah, yeah. There's no way to know. No way to know. So am I just throwing money at the problem and not getting my hands dirty? But if I am getting my hands dirty, am I helping? Yes, sir. I mean that's that's really good. That's 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 the, those are kind of questions that we need to be asking. Yeah. Yes, Linda. I think we're called upon to be graciously compassionate. That as we receive His grace, and there's nothing we can give back for that. Right. That we give to people graciously and compassionate. That we don't expect they're going to be able to do anything for us. You know, if you do give a buck to that guy or whatever that, that you see, they're not going to come back and do it. You may not even get a thank you. But right. That's okay. Jesus didn't get a thank you for most of the lepers. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, so, so Linda said, for, if you couldn't hear, she said that, um, that there's a, a sense in which uh, we are called to give without expecting anything in return. That Jesus didn't receive thanks from most of the lepers and, and by extension, most of us. You know, so uh, most of those he died for. All right, so let me just, let's, those are great comments. Let's hold one of those and see if they get uh, answered or, or uh, held up. As we go forward. So, verse 31, the Son of Man comes in His glory. Comes His glory with angels with Him, and He will sit on His glorious throne. This is a wonderful moment. This is what we're praying for. When we say, come Lord Jesus. Uh, we, um, Maranatha, right? We're praying for Christ's return. This is it. This is a wonderful moment. Moment. This is not like when the bailiff says, "All rise," and everybody, you know, the judge comes in and and you're just sitting like uncomfortable, shifting in your seats. Like it's it. This is this is trumpets and angels and light and and it will, of course, as as we've seen throughout Scripture, be fearsome to those who are not ready. And yet, it is um, it is what we hope for and what we pray for: the coming of Christ. Christ will come again. This is the consummation of history. And you think about like Philippians 2. Everyone will be before Him. All nations, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Like This is that moment that Jesus is talking about. Sitting there on the Mount of Olives 2,000 years ago. And just, but what He says is just like the two kinds of virgins just like the worthy and unworthy servants, just like the good fish in the net and the bad fish in the net, or the wheat and the tares and so many other images, there will be a separation at the end. And here it is not metaphorical, right? People get divided. As a shepherd, this is the simile, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So they're all mixed together, and the shepherd looks at them and says, no, you're a sheep, you go over here, and you're, you're a goat, you go over here. And um, it's, what's very clear is that the same Lord who pronounced final judgment on the temple and the destruction of the temple now is assuming for himself the power of judgment for all humanity at the end of all things. Like that is, I mean, if I, you know, if I were to, make some sort of statement like that, you would fire me and, you know, have me committed. So, um, but this is only, it can only, it can only be said if it's true. It can only be not crazy if it's, if it's true, right? 
And so it does say, it's interesting, I mean, I don't really know exactly what to make of it. It says he comes, the Son of Man comes, like he's, but he's also sitting on his glorious throne as if maybe he's in the throne room or maybe this is, you know, the new heaven or the new earth and, and so it's, we're standing before the judgment or the gateway to the, to the new earth or something like this. I'm not exactly sure what the physical context is except that Jesus is there and we're there. We're there because all nations are there. And it's just pulling together this idea simply that, that uh, at the coming of Christ, there will be final judgment. And all nations, all people will be before Him, and they will be divided in a binary way. You're, it's either or, you're in or you're out. The righteous are the sheep, they're on the right. It's not a political statement, it's just, you know. And it's, um, they are blessed. They are blessed. Uh, they are designated for the inheritance of the kingdom. They're designated uh, for heaven. And the cursed are the goats. They are destined for eternal punishment. They are weeping and weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's hell, right? There's heaven, there's hell. The righteous are in because, why? Because they saw Jesus. That's right. They saw Jesus in bad situations and they helped him out. He was naked, he was hungry, he was thirsty, he was sick or in prison. The cursed are out because they saw Jesus and didn't help. Right? I mean, that's, we're, we're tracking. Right? That's, that's, and, and what is interesting is each set, the righteous and the unrighteous, the sheep and the goats, are each set is just as surprised as the other to find out that they had actually encountered the Lord in those people incognito. Je- Jesus in disguise. Just as you did it to these, you did it to me. And this is not unlike where in, um, in, in the book of Acts where um, Jesus confronts, the risen Lord confronts St. Paul on the road to Damascus. He says, why uh, are you persecuting me? Right? Jesus identifies himself with his people and especially those uh, who are oppressed or who are uh, less fortunate in, in some way. Now, what's clear is that the righteous aren't rewarded for helping the least of these because they knew it was Jesus. Right? I mean, the cursed aren't cursed because they saw Jesus and turned away from Jesus. And that's really all kind of the point because anybody's going to help Jesus. Oh, Jesus, well, my goodness, yeah, holy moly, let me get you something to eat. You know, I'm a Super Bowl Sunday, I gotta happen to have a bunch of wings right here, so let's just go in and, uh, and give you some of, some of this, Jesus. There is potential, this is, I think, what Linda was talking about, there is potential for great advantage if you help someone who can help you in return. And who would have more potential to help us than Jesus? The catch here is that the sheep didn't know that there was any advantage. They just helped because there was someone who needed help. I heard about the Bishop of Rhode Island. Her name was Gerilyn Wolfe. She's still a bishop. I think she's, she's retired, and I think she's assisting bishop in Long Island. You know, Is that right? You know, something like that. And I don't know all the details, but I heard this, and she, um, she is, was sort of someone who, uh, probably progressive in her own views, but she wanted every, a place for everybody, but she was just, she, um, 
she wanted to make sure that the people who were holding on as what might be called traditionalists, that, that they, they weren't just against things or people or behaviors. They were actually committed to their biblical convictions, which would say, okay, you're against this because you're maybe a sexual, um, some sort of modern understanding of sexuality uh, because of your biblical conviction. But if you're also biblically convicted, then you will, you will love the poor. And so she dressed up as a homeless person and went around to some of the more traditional churches asking for help and food. Now, I have to say that I think I think the results were mixed. I think some really treated her well, and I think some really did not. I don't really remember the story, but I know that she was trying to say, okay, are you, if you believe what the Bible says, and you say you you're, have your position because you believe the Bible or whatever, the Bible says you've got to care for the poor. Now, is that, it also says you've got to tell the truth, so I don't know if, you know, if she, I don't know how she falls in, uh, in that. Well, she wanted to see, are, is their faith genuine? Has it, has it made a difference? Is, are they just protecting themselves, or are they freed by, their, by their, the convictions of their faith to actually love people? Because if they knew it was the bishop, I mean, they'd have opened their arm, arms wide open, right? Oh, Bishop Wolf, come right in. But if they didn't know and who it was, the evidence of whether our faith has moved from our head to our hearts, the evidence of whether our faith has moved from our head to our hearts, the evidence of the sincerity, the authenticity of our faith, and whether our faith is simply saving us or is changing us is in how we help people who can't help us in return. The evidence for the sincerity and the authenticity of our faith is evidence in how we help people that cannot help us in return. And I will say that this is incredibly convicting to me. And I feel um, a lot like I felt listening to uh, the gospel passage this morning and, and the first three quarters of Father George's sermon. Little uncomfortable. Um, because I can think of countless times where I have rolled my eyes or been annoyed or crossed the street to avoid someone. Now, there's sometimes where I don't have any money. I can't give it. But do I have time for a smile? Do I have time to help people? Can I give them the water bottle that I have instead? You know, there's lots of things. We do have sometimes, we actually have blessing bags. We've done this in, here at the church, and my family does this from time to time. And just keep bags in our car to help, and so we don't give the money. But we just, if we have a bag, we give some water and stuff. I remember one time I gave this, uh, I offered a guy an apple. I said, I don't have any money on me, but I got this apple right here. You can smile on this big old almost toothless smile. I was like, I can't, I can't take no apple. <laughs> but thank you. 
Um, but so I'll tell you a story. This is a story. Last week I talked about Charles Spurgeon. This is a story that Charles Spurgeon told. Great English preacher. And I've told this story here, but it's been a few years since I've told it. That there was a carrot farmer, and he could see the the top of that carrot. He was, he'd never never quite seen leave carrot leaves the size of this particular carrot. He had fertilized it, done all the right things. He picked that thing up, and when it was time, and it was the biggest carrot he'd ever seen. He washed it off. He polished it up. He took it to the king. And he said. He got an audience with the king. He waited in line on the king's, on the king's day and, and presented it to the king. And he said, uh, you're a good and gracious king. You've been so good to me, and to my family, and to all the people of this land. And this is the greatest carrot that I've ever grown, and I want you to have it. And he laid it at his feet and bowed and walked humbly backwards and took off. And the king said, hold on, hold on a second. I, I, I actually, I own the field next door to yours, and it's three times the size of your field. And I would, you know, I, it's just kind of taking up space. I, I, will, I want you to have it. So you can do this good work, and you can profit from your skill, and you can give and, uh, to those around you. You can employ it. You, this is, you, you are worthy of this land. The farmer's just amazed. The king would be give him this gift. I just... Gave him a carrot. His horse, uh, what would you call a horse farmer, a horse raiser? You know, what's a, a guy who raises horses, rancher, something. Breeder, horse breeder, says uh, uh, he's over in the corner. He says, my goodness, that's what he gets for a carrot. So the next day he walks in with this gorgeous stallion, just Got you know had them all groomed and everything. Prances in this royal sort of war horse, just amazing things. You are a good and gracious king. This is the greatest stallion that my stables have ever bred, and I want you to have it. And the king says, "Well, thanks." He grabs the has he has his courtiers come over, take the horse, and next. <laughs> The breeder's kind of looking confused and hangs his head and the king says, hold on a second. Yesterday you were here and you saw that farmer give me the carrot. He was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself that horse. Mm-hmm. Well done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's why Charles Spurgeon's Charles Spurgeon, and I'm not. But um, the difference in the sheep and the goats, the difference in the righteous and the curse, is not whether they believed in Jesus, but whether that belief changed the person to care for others rather than themselves. If we are doing good deeds, I mean, this is one thing we could we could read this passage and run off and say, "Well, my goodness, I better do something." If or else I'm going to be out weeping and gnashing of teeth, I need to go help the hungry and the, and the naked. And, um, and come judgment day, look, look what I'll look, hold up my resume. Look at all I've done, Lord. I don't want to be the goat. I'm, I don't want to be a goat. Look at all I've done. Look at all the hungry people I've fed. I, I've earned my spot among the sheep. But then you got to look at that in the lens of what he's been telling the Pharisees for That's so right. long. 
Jesus would tell the Pharisees, yeah, you're holding the, the law, but it's not because you love God. It's because you're, it gives you your social status. It gives you, you're taking pride in it. It's not, you know, it's, you're, now you have that parallel. That's right. It's all about the inside. Interesting, if I may, uh, Jesus called us to be servants. Who wants to be greatest among you? Mm-hmm. And we can do things, um, we can do deeds of righteousness to make us feel good in and of ourselves. That's not doing it for Christ. Yes. And, and uh, I find that uh, I look at the, the sheep and the goats and the great sermon that was of the 23rd Psalm about the difference in those two animals. And he said, my sheep hear my voice. It's hearing the voice of God and allowing it to change us. It doesn't... I've been a Christian for some time now and I'm still learning parts of my life that I have not reached or paid attention to in serving others. So it is a growth process. Yes. It's not something we get saved and bang, all of a sudden your heart's totally pure. Yeah, Richard said it was a, it's a growth process. It's not something that we just... It's not like a light switch where all of a sudden I'm in this great servant. This is a gradual growth for us. We see areas that un, are uncovered uh, but very often we give ourselves the horse. Yeah. Yes. And uh, so to, to end that thing, what I was going to say, we're waving our resume, we're, we're just goats. We, are. we can't earn it. And so it's so tricky. I mean, this is really, it's really tricky because the idea is to lift the center of our lives away from ourselves uh, to love God and love our neighbor. I mean, this is what, I mean, when we talk about humility, and C.S. Lewis always, you know, we always quote C.S. Lewis, you know, humility is not thinking less of ourselves, it's thinking of ourselves less. To, that we're freed from thinking of ourselves to love God and, and love our neighbor, to love God uh, as we ought, but as we were created to do. Uh, we're actually, when we love God, we are, we are um, putting 93 octane in the tank, right? We're just, that's what we were made for. That's the way we run the best. And when we ha- love God, we're going to love what He loves, which is the other people. Now, are you going to get a good feeling from that? Are you going to feel good about it? Absolutely, you're going to feel good. That's, there's benefit, there's blessing to you. But your life isn't all about receiving blessing, it's about being blessing. It's about being blessing. And you will be amazed. You might make a fortune, you might be, end up penniless, but you're going to be amazed at the richness of your life by following Christ without concern for uh, how it affects you. Now, I'm not, I'm not, don't hear me saying, don't be good with your money or something like that. But what I'm, what I'm saying is that, is that the, the final judgment is not have you clothed the naked or fed the hungry, it is have you done so because you loved me. Now, not all of us are going to always feed the hungry. My, I mean, my job, I think, is to feed the spiritually hungry. And to do that, and if I can find time to, to give to the rescue mission, or if I can find time to go to the soup kitchen, I want to do that, but we've got to do what we're called to do. And so if I did that, I wouldn't have time to prepare uh, for this. And so there's a part of it, you know, you've got to do what you're called to do. But we have to pay attention to the least, but not because if we don't, we're going to hell. Pay attention to the least because God loves the least, and we love God. Right? Weeping and gnashing of teeth. I want to suggest, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell. 
is not an issued punishment from an angry God that says you didn't help enough people. Weeping and gnashing of teeth is the logical conclusion of a life that is lived to serve oneself. That is, when our life is lived to serve ourselves, which is all we know how to do unless we love God, the end of serving ourselves is bitter loneliness, the absence of any blessing, any love, any quality of God. That's hell. That's the weeping. So here's the trick with this passage. I thought I had 45 minutes. I'm going to, y'all can talk, but I'm, I'm just pretty close to done with my nose. Am I going to run out, rush out and start feeding the hungry, clothing the naked? Because I don't want help. That's just giving the king the horse, isn't it? Or am I going to look at the one who has come in glory and seated on his glorious throne to worship him and do what he loves, do what he does and love what he loves? Like that's not passive, right? You can seek out the homeless. You know, get in your car and go downtown to Claire White Mission or Trinity Rescue Mission or the City Rescue Mission, Salzbacher Center, however you want to do it, that's great. Get it. It's not just who does God put in my path, but what you need to do is what God has called you to do. Not just as a recipient of blessing, but as, a, as an avenue, as a conduit of blessing. Enjoy it. Get that good feeling from it. But do it for the glory of God. Do it with the character of Christ. Love God. And love your neighbor. And I really think that's what, I think, that's what the thrust of this passage is. Yes, Father George. There's this old priest that I I know, he's passed away now. He used to, at the final blessing, every Sunday after worship, would say... As you go into the world this week, may you find the face of our Lord Jesus in everybody that you meet. And may everybody that you meet find the face of our Lord Jesus in you. And I think that relates just to what's being said here. Yeah. I mean, again, the trick is that it's not effort. Like, okay, I'm going to really work hard that everybody can see Jesus in me. It's just looking at Jesus and letting Him do the work. Yeah, Richard. Yeah, one more comment about about that. You know, the law says love your neighbor as you love yourself. I don't always love myself, but Jesus said, love each other as I have loved you. So I sort of changed the motto and the driving force of my life of trying to always find Jesus in somebody else doing that, but to love them like Jesus would love them. Yeah. I want to love my wife like Jesus would love her. I want to love my friends like Jesus would, would love her. Part of that, of course, is our own imagination and our own sort of you know intuition about how Jesus would love them. But I think that's important. So a lot of times I don't have the strength to love someone or the will even, the desire. I was talking to a buddy about that yesterday. You know, How do I love hard, people that's hard to love? You don't. You let Jesus love them through. Like, you know, that's, you're just in tune to Jesus. In Him we live and move and have our being. In Him we live and move and have our being. That is, that's what the that's what the word tells us. True statement.
if we look to Christ, and if we can look at the fruit of our life and see the evidence, beg God for mercy, of course. The evidence, again, of whether it's moved from our head to our heart is, is in how we treat others and how we treat others, especially that can't help us. That's just evidence. So what saves us is grace. Not good theology. Uh, not strength of, you know, on a scale of 1 to 100, I'm a 98 on how much I believe in Jesus. Not any of that. It's grace. But, there, but grace makes an impact. Grace, you know, once, once we understand it, it makes an impact in our life. And it is a process. And if you can't see the evidence, then pray, uh, repent and pray that God would give you that change of heart. And He will. Help, help. I know you love me. Help me to love the people that you love. And it's a really good thing, man, to go and go down to Clara White Mission or St. Mary's Food Bank and, um, and help those who need some help. But do it for Jesus for His glory and not for your resume. But don't not do it. Catch way through there. It's a fine line. <laughs> it's a fine line. If you're going to err on one side, err on the side of doing it. And, and ask for mercy about how you'd love yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Your heart condemned you. Fear not, I'm greater than your heart. If our heart is true, we're, we're really looking to be all in for God. He, he, he's more willing to help us than we are to find His help. Yeah. He's more willing to... I mean, here's the thing. you got to count yourself among the least of these. you got to count yourself as the one who needs the mercy and grace. Um, but... And if you see yourself that way, and that's, this is why I constantly talk about sin. Like, I want you to see yourself as a, as, not as a condemned sinner, but as a, as, a, as a sinner who has received grace. Because that way you can see other people's sin and have some empathy rather than annoyance. Now, of course, I've still got annoyance, but um, at, our, at our best, we see ourselves uh, as, you know, like St. Paul said, I, I'm the the most wretched of all sinners. Nobody had more compassion for compassion for a sinner than Paul. Because he saw himself as, he was empathetic. You see yourself as one who has received that grace, who's been clothed and, and fed, and quenched your thirst by the Word of God, then you'll have some empathy for those who need it. To me, that discipleship Loving the learning to love the Lord is, in fact, the greatest fuel uh, for learning to love our neighbor. So, any further comments? Yes, Jane. They'll know we are Christians by our love. I think that is that passage that that comes from. I think is how we treat each other as Christians, which I think which. I, I mean, I think the, actually the argument can be made that Jesus is talking about Christians, poor, you know, caring for poor Christians, um, not just the poor, but um, but yes, yes. I mean, how we how we treat everybody, whether in in the church or outside of the church, you know, that's our baptismal vow to 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 respect the dignity of every human being.
even the people on the corner with a sign in the cup. Yeah. Now there are some people with strong conviction believe that they're not helping them. They're not actually treating them with dignity if they throw them a couple bucks. I, and I don't. Th- I think the uh, the issue is not with the action; it's the conviction. I mean, they, I I was in the car with a, a friend this years ago. It made a big impact on me, though. Uh, and he he and his wife were uh, we were all living in Raleigh, and he and his wife were very involved with the Raleigh Rescue Mission. And um, he saw somebody giving somebody cash. He's like, "Oh no, oh I wish they wouldn't do that." You know, give the money to the rescue mission. We you know we can ha- we can help we can help the people with that. That was his conviction, but I'm certainly not going to take it away from people who give money to the to the person. Yeah, because we we form in our minds what we think they're going to do with the money. How 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 they handle it is between him and it's God. Okay. Yeah. Once you give us as of the Lord. Yeah. I mean, Jesus said, "Give to everyone who begs." So that's I mean. That's the big issue in the city right now. Yeah. There's. Controversy, not just in this city, also. And it's not something that you do. No. Jesus said you always had the poor. You always had the poor. You only had me for a little while, but the poor you will have always. It doesn't really matter what the person would give to us. Yeah, that's right. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Alright, lots to think about. Lots to think about. So Jesus. If you look at the beginning of chapter 26, which we'll cover briefly next week, Jesus says, I mean, he, he kind of, it, it turns. He says, uh, when Jesus finished all these things, he said to the disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up and be crucified. So that there's a, now we're moving towards the cross. He's like, I'm tired. It's Wednesday night. I'm tired. I'm going to bed. Actually, they don't go to bed. He goes to the house of Simon the leper. That's what we'll talk about next next week. God bless you.